Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Bridge Church. Good evening, everyone. My name is Rich Bowman. I'm one of the pastors here at The Bridge Church, and man, does it feel good to be back with you guys. Uh, so last Sunday, I had a great opportunity to go out and preach at one of our, uh, one of our friends' churches out in Queens, New Hope Christian Church, um, and that was awesome. I got to share the word there twice. They have two services there, so it was really cool. But man, it feels good to be back with you guys today. Just as I look out and I just see my friends, but more so my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ, um, that I've been growing with just for years. So it just feels really good just to be up here to share with you today uh, during this impossible series. And what an awesome series it's been. If you guys have been being blessed by the impossible series, make some noise, right? Good. Man, it's certainly been challenging me in some brand new ways. It's been stretching me. It's been challenging me in my faith um, just to go and do the impossible. You know, what I've noticed just as we've been going through this series, this impossible series, is that I use the word impossible a lot. I say that word a lot. See, for those of you who don't know, I am a professional self-doubter. Finding myself in impossible situations is just Monday for me, right? So people are like, hey, Rich, you should plant a church. Man, that's impossible. Man, I had my first child. Being a father feels impossible. Being a good husband feels impossible. Finding a parking spot near my house, that actually might be impossible, right? I am very, very, very familiar with the impossible. And this evening, we're going to be exploring a topic that for many of us seems impossible, achieving peace, peacefulness, many times feels impossible. How can we achieve peace? And as New Yorkers, it's very difficult to find peace. Peace seems very impossible to us. Whether it's the rat race, the frantic pace, or the lack of space, it is very, very difficult to find peace in this city. And the thing is, it's actually very hard to find peace in this country because we have memories and those memories are memories of suffering. Times where we suffered or we watched people suffer or we had ancestors that suffered. From acts of injustice or terrorism, we have found reasons to fear. We have found things that keep us up at night, things that give us anxiety, and we feel trapped by it. We feel bound by it. And we are united in a way by our need to want to feel free. You know, today we're going to spend a lot of our time in the book of Philippians. And Philippians is a letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi from a prison. He writes it from a prison. You want to talk about feeling trapped and feeling bound? Well, let me tell you, Paul actually writes this letter in chains from jail. Paul has scars Paul has bruises that he did not deserve. He has been mistreated and abused for preaching a gospel of peace, for preaching a gospel of grace, for preaching a gospel of forgiveness. He is a man who has every right to be angry at the world around him, 
But instead, you'll see in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. How can we move from a place of inner bondage to a place of inner peace? And a real move at that, not like a temporary mind shift, right? See, many times as Christians, we confuse transformation with willpower. Right? And we, we got to get some clarity here. And then the problem is, because we can't distinguish that, we start to get frustrated when we don't last. Right? We get frustrated when we don't see lasting change. Well, that's because you're relying on the wrong source. Willpower has an end. Willpower runs out. Willpower runs out because the one powering it is you. Transformation, on the other hand, is the work of the Holy Spirit, and his power never runs out. There is a huge difference between a restrained heart and a changed heart. Let me say that again. There is a huge difference between a restrained heart, your willpower, versus the changed heart, one that is submitted to the Holy Spirit. And the big factor, the big difference between the two is your motivation. See, willpower becomes your source of energy when you start to overvalue your appearance, when you start to overvalue what people say about you, when you start to overvalue what people think about you. But when you want to change just so you can be a better son, just so you can be a better daughter of God, in sight of your heavenly Father, you can call on the Holy Spirit for help. Bridge, you got to check your motivations. You think Paul is sitting in the cell wanting to make sure that these guards see him as the perfect Christian? You think that's his motivation? And if it was, maybe he could, you know, maybe he could keep it up for a couple days, maybe even a week. But eventually, Paul would break. Paul is not exhibiting restraint or willpower. He is experiencing Holy Spirit transformation one that will allow you to experience a prison and still say, rejoice in the Lord always. That, my friends, is impossible peace. And that's what we're after this evening, church, impossible peace. You know, when we think of the word peace, we think calmness. We think harmony. And we, if you ever look at the opposite of peace, we'll think fear, anxiety, or worry. And if we look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So, we see that being anxious is the problem, and the peace of God is the solution. The word anxious here really means to, like, be torn up, to be ripped to pieces due to a deep sense of worry and fear. And if that's where you are today, then you need the peace of God. So what is this peace? What is the peace of God? Two things. One, 
It is an inner calm and its equilibrium. Inner calm and equilibrium. We can see in Philippians chapter 4, if we go further down into verses 11 and 12, we see it says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. See, what he's saying is that no matter the situation, he is the same, right? The situation does not control him. He's balanced and firm, not moved by the winds of circumstance. And this is crazy because we got to remember where this guy is. He is in jail and not 2017 jail, not air-conditioned indoor plumbing three meals a day jail. He's in first century jail. Nasty, gross, sweating to death or freezing to death, beat up and starving, yet he is content. He is content. And let's juxtapose our situation next to Paul. What, is, what stresses us out? Bills, our bosses, crazy children, competition. Most of us are not being tortured. Most of us are not starving to death. I know I'm not, right? We take classes, we get apps, and we pop pills just to have a chance at experiencing the balance that Paul has here. And those classes and those prescriptions are good. Trust me, I take them. But they will not transform you. You see, they can only address your symptoms. The peace of God will address your soul. They will only address your symptoms. The peace of God will address your soul. Now, you might be saying, well, look, Rich, this is Paul, right? Can we, can we get a better example? Can we get just like a regular person? You're going to use Paul as an example? But the thing is, Paul is a regular person. Don't fall for the lie that Paul just got it like that, all right? He ain't wake up like that, okay? Look back at verse 11. He says, I have learned the secret. I have learned. There was a process to get to that point. He had experienced triumph and failure in this area over and over until he got it. He learned living out the peace of God does not come naturally. It didn't come naturally to Paul, and it's not going to come natural to you. We must learn it. The peace of God is an inner calm, balance, equilibrium. The second thing that the peace of God is, is the presence of protection. The peace of God is not just the absence of fear. It is the presence of protection. Look back at verse 7. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Guard your heart and mind. You see, the word guard here is actually a military term, and it, it refers to the practice of a, an army surrounding a city on all sides in order to protect it against incoming threats and attacks. If there is an army outside for the sole purpose of defending me, my levels of worry and fear dramatically decrease. 
someone is willing to fight, to give their life on my behalf, what is there for me to worry about? The peace of God is not about absence. It's about presence. And this, my friends, is extremely countercultural. You know, so most of you know, and for those who don't, I deal with anxiety disorder, right? So I get really random, really serious panic attacks. And my doctors have recommended a ton of, like, meditation techniques for me to try. And some of these have worked, right, to varying degrees, and some of them have been functioning well as a way for me to clear my mind. But they, I realize they all say that. They all say, clear your mind, control your thoughts, empty yourself. But what Paul is writing here is not about absence. It's not about getting rid of something, but rather adding in the presence of God himself. Christian peace, impossible peace, the peace that seems impossible doesn't come from getting rid of negative thoughts. As a matter of fact, Getting rid of negative thoughts or ceasing to think about your current situation only will give you temporary escape. You are only running from the reality. Impossible peace is not about living a life where you don't face the facts, but receiving a power that allows you to overcome those facts. And we are protected by that power. And we need that because many times when tragedy strikes, we feel very unprotected, very vulnerable. But being grounded in the word of God, relying on the protection that comes from the peace of God, you will be able to react like Paul. Somehow you have a sense that things are going to be okay. It's not that you start denying the facts. You are fully aware of the gravity of the situation that you're in, but you have something bigger. You have something better. You have something supernatural that keeps you grounded and balanced. The army that surrounds your heart and your mind. Paul is beaten, stoned, flogged, shipwrecked, chased after, betrayed. Yet the army surrounding his heart, the peace of God has given him a poise through it all. He isn't showing off some natural talent, right? He didn't wake up and just have this ability. He's displaying something that he learned, and you can learn it as well. You can learn it as well. But how? How, Sway? Three things, reflection, recognition, and reverence. Reflection, recognition, and reverence. Reflection. Look at verse 8 again. Look at verse 8 of the same chapter there, Philippians 4. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. Reflect on these things. 
You know, let's just look at the first three in that list, right? We got true, honorable, and just. True, honorable, and just. When Paul uses these words, he's actually talking about doctrine. He's talking about the Bible. He's talking about the truths of God, Jesus, salvation. He's saying, if you want peace, reflect on the truths of God. And when he says think, he means long-term reflection. The word (coughs) is more like chew on these things, meditate on these things. And again, this is very counter-cultural. I couldn't imagine walking into my next doctor's appointment, sitting on that bed with that strip of real noisy tissue paper on it, and she goes, hey, Rich, how you doing with your anxiety? I'm like, doc, let me tell you, I'm doing a lot better. And she's like, oh, okay, really? Yeah, tell me how. What techniques have you been using? How are you clearing your mind, right? Clearing my mind? Absolutely not. See, doc, what I'm actually doing is I'm asking big questions like, what is the meaning of life and where did I come from? And I'm spending a lot of time exploring what I should be doing with my life in terms of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for me. And I've been studying concepts like the Trinity and the hypostatic union, and I'm learning about where I go when I die. She would be in shock. See, because in her world, anxiety comes when the mind is full. And so she recommends breathing and relaxation and rest as a means of emptying my mind. But what Paul is saying is reflect on what is true, honorable and just. Think about doctrine. Think of all the things that you know about God. Fill up your mind. Fill up your mind with the knowledge of God. Reflect on those things. Reflect on those things, and you'll have peace. You know, it's funny. um, There's a great quote from uh, the naturalist Charles Darwin. He says, A man who has no assured and ever-present belief in the existence of a personal God or a future existence with retribution and reward can have for his rule of life, as far as I can see, only to follow those impulses and instincts which are the strongest or which seem to him the best ones. What is he saying? He says, look, if you don't believe in God or heaven or hell, then the way you should run your life is just to follow your strongest impulse or the impulses that you think are best. Man, what a dangerous way of thinking. See, because if we look into it deeper and we look into what this actually means, well, one of the things that jump out right away is that Darwin is saying that there's no right and there's no wrong. You may feel like something is right and you may feel like something is wrong, but that is personal. You can't tell another person the way that they should act. But it's funny, you know, because when I get into conversations with people who don't believe in God, They don't see the implications, and many times they try to reason out of it. Because if there's no standard that we should live by, and everyone should be able to live how they think they should live, then we can't have communities. 
then we can't have families. So they have to stay on the surface and refuse to think about what it means to even believe the things that they believe. And therein lies the beauty of what Paul is trying to show us. See, what Paul is saying is impossible peace, the peace of God, comes from reflecting, comes from thinking about what it means to believe in what you believe, the comfort that it gives you as you reflect on who God is and what God does and how God feels about you and all the implications of what that means. And when you do that, you see how that creates communities and that creates families. It's exactly the opposite of the thinking in our society. And if you are in here and you are a believer in Jesus and you believe all that doctrine, you believe all the truth in the Bible and you are not experiencing peace, start reflecting. Start thinking today. Don't settle for the fake peace that our city wants to sell you, the fake peace, the temporary escape, the fake peace of drugs, alcohol, sex. As a Christian, we don't overcome by looking for an out. We don't overcome by running away and looking for a place to hide. We overcome by running towards the issue with the power of the one who overcame the world. We don't look for a way out. We pray for an open door to get in. And if you really believe in the truth, you'll get peace. Reflect more, be more thoughtful. Be more thoughtful. That's reflection. You must also master recognition. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You are not reading about a transaction. It's not, hey, God, I want X. And then God gives you X. And then you say, thank you, God, for X. Instead, it says, you thank him as you make the request. Now, hold on, Paul. Why would I thank God as I make the request Don't I at least want to know what he's going to do first? But that's not what it says. Paul says you won't be content unless you thank him for whatever he is going to do. You must acknowledge that the world is in his hands and he has full sovereignty over it. Think about Jesus on the cross. Imagine being one of his disciples. This would be the worst day of your life. The one that you put all of your trust in is hung up on a cross, tortured and bleeding, gasping for air. I would be crying out to God, how could you let this happen? The most innocent person to ever exist to suffer a fate like this. What good could possibly come from this? But we know the greatest good came from that. Salvation came from that. 
Reconciliation between God and mankind came through that. So the next time you make a request, why even try to assume that you even know if that request is even good or bad for you? But rather, thank God that he is a God who knows best and loves you and that his response is always the right one. God's response is always the right one. God will always give us what we would have asked for had we known everything he knows. God will always give us what we would have asked for had we known everything he knows. Do you believe that, Bridge? Do you believe that? If you rated yourself from zero to 100 on how much you believe that statement, that number is also related to how much peace you will receive. That's how much peace you're experiencing. Make your requests known with thanksgiving. Recognize God in your requests. That's recognition. So we've had reflection, think on these things. Recognition, thanking God through the request. And now reverence. Look back at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. He's talking about attraction. This is reverence. This is love. Paul is addressing the issue of contentment. The Greek word, which is used in verse 11, when he talks about having contentment, is autarkia. Now, there were some philosophers at the time, specifically Stoic philosophers, who were claiming to have the answer to obtaining this autarkia or contentment. They said that the reason why people don't experience contentment or this balance or this equilibrium that we see in Paul is because they love the wrong things. That was their definition. You love the wrong things. That's why you're experiencing this. So they say, don't love success because what if you lose your position? Now you're going to be devastated and you're going to feel like, oh, success is lost and now I'm sad. Right? And now you've lost your equilibrium. And they'll say, don't love your family because what if one of your family members passes away? Then you're devastated and debilitated by sadness. You will always be worried and anxious. Essentially, what they're saying is, don't love anything that you can't control. The only thing that you should love is your own virtue. Because that is something that you can control. You can be courageous and honest and, in, and having integrity. That's what you should love. But listen, none of us in here are studied philosophers, to my understanding, and even we can easily see that there's an issue here. See, what these philosophers are failing to realize is we don't actually have control over our own virtue. See, yes, success is not certain. The lives of family members is not certain. 
But saying you'll be a hard worker or saying that you're going to be an honest person or saying that you're going to be a man or a woman of integrity is just as uncertain. We are frail, inconsistent human beings who can't even hold on to the standards that we create, the ones that we give ourselves. You don't have control over that. There is a ton of uncertainty out there, but guess what? There's a ton of uncertainty in here as well. Stoics thought they got it right. But you know what? I think they got it half right. The only, because the only thing that will bring peace is loving something that doesn't change. I agree. But there is only one thing that doesn't change. God is unchanging. Only God is consistent. Our problem is that we put our deepest love in things that change. We must put our deepest love, our deepest reverence for the unchanging God. Because guess what? Nothing can take him away from you. And even the worst thing that this life can offer, which is death, only gives you more God. The presence of God is what we should put our deepest reverence, our deepest love in. God alone is the place of peace that cannot be disturbed. The peace of God keeps your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. In verse 7, it is very interesting that Paul has separated hearts and minds. Paul separates the terms heart and mind. Because we know that it's one thing to think about Jesus. We know it's one thing to know about Jesus. We know it's one thing to study about Jesus, to research him, to talk about him. But we know it's a whole other thing to give him your heart, to truly revere him, to truly love him, to find him lovely, to find him commendable. That's a whole other thing. You know, in Isaiah chapter 57, verses 20 and 21, it says, But the wicked, the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its water tosses up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. Now listen, this is not the typical Old Testament, God will smite the evildoers kind of verse. It says if really what it's saying is if you love anything more than God, then you have no foundation. You are like a tossing sea, kicking up dirt and mud constantly. Deep, deep restlessness. That is what disobeying God gives you. That is the situation that sin brings in. Jesus took that sin on his back for us. And on the cross, we see what that actually costs. He endures the lack of peace so that we can have eternal peace. Scholars say that, you know, because Jesus was the only person to ever get crucified, 
And so as they study these people who have been crucified before, they come up with some very interesting findings. The majority of people who have been crucified actually become unconscious for several hours before they actually die. The amount of pain, the excruciating just um, situation that they're in causes them to pass out hours before their body actually dies. What we observe with Jesus is this moment of crying out to God, crying out to God, why have you forsaken me? And then he's dead. And that's very interesting from a biological standpoint. What that says is Jesus pushed past a pain that would cause most men to pass out until they could endure no longer. Jesus endured an incredible lack of peace, an excruciating amount of pain and lack of peace, all so that we could have it eternally. Jesus bore it all. Jesus takes the punishment. So listen, when you are going through an issue and you get tempted to believe that the lie that God has forgotten about you or God doesn't care about you, it is a lie. Because God's wrath was poured out on Jesus so that you can live, so that you could have the peace. On the cross, he's thinking about you. He pushes through what most men would pass out for for you so that you could have the peace. The peace that he didn't get to have on the cross. The pain and the punishment. You lose your peace when you forget what Jesus has done. Look at what he did for you. How can you hear this gospel and not be moved to love Jesus? The prince of peace. Impossible peace. Because it comes from reflecting on Jesus. That's why we can have impossible peace. Because it's not possible without him. Recognizing what he has done and revering him for who he is, it's not possible on our own. You know, a while back, I preached a sermon on identity. And one of the things that I had up there was a picture. And it said, anxiety is not my name. Anxiety is not my name. See, at the time, I had been going in and out of the hospital due to anxiety disorder. From the year 2010 to 2016, I had been hospitalized multiple times every single one of those years. This year, 2017, is the first year in seven years that I've made it to the month of April without having to pick up my phone and press 911. 
seven years, I am finding that peace, Bridge Church. Impossible. That's what I thought. Impossible. Jesus makes the impossible possible. Jesus makes the difference. Jesus is the reason that I can stare into the heart of the things that terrify me and say it's going to be okay. Because even life's knockout punch is a one-way trip to the one who is true, the one who is honorable, the one who is just, the one who is pure, the one who is lovely, the one who is commendable, the one who is excellent, the one worthy of praise. Bridge Church, think about him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. You give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Help us to reflect on what you did, what you do, and most importantly, who you are. Help us to recognize you for all you do for us, because we are ungrateful, God. Give us a heart of gratitude and help us to love. Give us a heart for you, God, a heart that has reverence for the cross, for Jesus' sacrifice. Help us to fix our hearts and minds on you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.